0: Hey, Rockheads, it's time for NDC Oslo again, June 15th through 19th in Oslo, Norway. Richard and I will be there, of course, as well as all your favorite speakers. World-class stuff here, folks. NDC-Oslo.com. We'll see you there.
1: .NET Rocks, episode 1145. Recorded Tuesday, May 26th, 2015.
0: Thank you very much, and welcome back to Carl and Richard. We're geeking out here. Yes. Hey. And I have scotch. I have bourbon.
1: And I got to tell you, you've given me many nice gifts over the years. Mm. But those hand-blown whiskey glasses make me smile every time I pour the golden elixir in it. You want to hear something sad? Mm? We cracked one of ours. Oh, no, no. Yeah, apparently you
0: shouldn't put it in the freezer. Oh, no. Yeah. Don't do <laughs> don't, that. Don't do that. That's bad. I've put glass in the freezer before and it hasn't cracked, but I don't know, maybe something about the hand blown yeah, stuff. you know, maybe some or-
1: bubbles, something like that.
0: It's yeah. le- They're less perfect and that's what I love about them.
1: Yep, me they're, too. They're a little bit each different. Anyway, I'm, I will toast to you, my friend. Cheers.
0: And I will toast to you, to you, sir. Nice. Well, Richard, I have a very cool Better Know framework for you. So, yeah, let's roll the music. Awesome. All right, buddy, what do you got? I know you've had this experience, my friend. You have an idea, and it seems like an obvious idea, but nobody's done it. Yeah. And you say, you know, if I had any sense, I'd get some money together and get a company or something and, and, you know – do this write this software whatever it is right do this idea and you don't of course and then you're busy yeah and then you know a year two years three years later there it is somebody's done it (laughs) yeah yeah so kent alstad and i back when we were where where the heck were we we might have been in amsterdam at sd sd conference but it's been that long We're talking about a – oh, no, maybe it was down in New York with you guys. Well, whatever. It was a couple of years ago. Right. And we were uh, discussing how cool it would be to be able to have a clipboard that went across machines. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, so you could copy on your phone and then paste on your Windows machine right. or vice versa. How cool would that be? Right. Just a simple data transfer without any fanfare, just copy and paste. And so Microsoft is doing it, but not only are, is Microsoft doing it and it's called one clip. Uh, not only are they doing it, but it goes across platforms.
1: Wow. Because remember there was that Synergy project I used this ages ago.
0: Right, right. But it
1: worked across PCs, well, but n- just PCs.
0: Synergy was this kind of thing where you could extend your mouse and keyboard just by moving your mouse. Yeah,
1: but it also included the clipboard.
0: That does, that's right. It did include the clipboard. Yeah, so yeah, you copied
1: something on the clipboard on one machine. And the most amazing part is when you had, like, a Linux install and a PC install, and it still worked.
0: Oh, yeah. It's awesome. So, anyway, if you go to tinyurl.com slash again. Clippy again. I love it. <laughs> uh, it's actually called One Clip, but um, there's a, an Engadget article about it. And it, again, it's because of a leak. You know, somebody found something somewhere about it and leaked it. But uh, there it is. It the, the, the promise is copy once, paste anywhere. Nice. And I love that. Yeah, no, it's something you actually do, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it It's always amazing to me um, when – people don't get copy and paste you know that they didn't know they had that and you know i guess the, when you grow up in an era where things are being innovated and it's amazing and everybody knows about it when it comes out you know that's one thing but then you know just thrown into the world of computers newbies don't necessarily know yeah so it's very cool i mean and even when they do know they don't know that it's a big deal yeah, they don't know. It's a simple thing. That's a really big deal. It's a yeah. big deal. You use it all the time. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty funny. All right, man. Who's talking to us?
1: Grabbed a comment on our show 10 at 91, the one we did about wave power. All so right. So the last of the alternative energies. I, I felt bad neglecting it for a couple of years. Uh, but it seemed to resonate with folks. And Jared McGuire says, uh, I love these geek outs. Although I had heard of wave power, I had never heard about tidal power. After the explanation, it seems so obvious that I can't yeah. help but wonder why it took so long to become a reality. One would think that tidal power would be more widespread. I expect the real estate plays a large factor in blocking its growth. Again, great show, guys. Keep up the power geek outs. And next up, magnets. No, seriously, magnets. Magnets? Hmm,
0: magnets. magnets. Neodymium. Magnets?
1: Anybody? Eh, yeah, just hurt yourself with the damn things, but.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay, we'll talk about magnets. We should talk um, about magnet snake oil because there's a lot of that.
1: And I, and one of the reasons I read this comment was that I will – this show is going to fall in nicely with some stuff around wave power as well. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting that it hasn't come so long. I think we talked about this in the wave power show that one of the problems when you deal with tidal power is the ocean is very destructive. Yes. V- incredibly destructive. Right. And you need power plants to run for decades. Yeah. And it's just not easy to do to make that work. So then, you know, it's been very challenging to have it as reliable as it needs to be.
0: Yeah. So Jared,
1: thank you so much for your comment. The Don rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a Don rocks mug, write a comment on the website at Donna All
0: right. So in this show, we are going to revisit uh, all of the topics or as many of the topics as we can possibly revisit. Well, I mean, it's going to be on. no
1: surprise to you that, I don't stop researching a topic just because we finished the show. No, of course not. <laughs> you know, and again, even people have missed the history here. I didn't like this idea. Carl <laughs> talked me into it, Uh, and it forced me to, you know, actually get an hour together on a subject I thought I knew a lot about, but when you actually delve in, I learned a bunch more, and, yeah. and I just have this machine now where I'm constantly gleaning information and gathering it, and so... And you one and I the,
0: hang out a lot, so we we I know the updates just from hanging out with you. Yeah, because I mean, I'm
1: always thinking, I'm looking, and, and so forth. Yeah. And one of the problems I've got is trying to figure out w- when do we make another show. Right. There are a lot of things that have happened in the automated driving space since show 900. Mm-hmm. But do I? Is it time to do another whole show? I don't, I'm just not even sure. So yeah. th- this is kind of an experiment. This right. is uh, all of the notes that I've added since we did the show just sort of get people up on a few different things. And if it, this works then we'll do more like this. If it doesn't work as well, maybe we'll do it a different way. Just I, let it's us an experiment. Know. Just like all of the geeks.
0: Let us know what you think. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll, we'll I'll so, have to try it. So our that. our roster is electricity, solar power, wave power, automated driving, fusion and space. So let's start with electricity, the the one that started it all.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, that was the show where I thought, you know, "Huh. <laughs> that was not a not a show where Anybody asked for it specifically, it was necessary to set up the other shows around energy and uh, created a lot of noise, a lot of interest. We got the emails from fourth grade teachers and things about it. Yeah, it was great. Uh, One of the things I mentioned in that show, and that's back in in January 2012, was the Tres Amigas Superstation. Do you remember?
0: The Tres Amigas Superstation was the huge power plant in, in Texas.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a power distribution concept. Right. So, I mean, one of the things that the U.S. has to deal with being the first in the world to have a power grid was that A, you picked the wrong voltage. Right? 120, once it got stabilized, it's not enough power. The 220 voltage is a better power. Yes. There's nothing wrong with 60 hertz, da 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 But the grids themselves, I mean, the the Niagara Falls power plant is sort of the original. It began all this. The northeastern grid mm. is the beginning of all that. And so, in reality, the U.S. has nine different power grids. And they're only sort of interconnected. Okay. And so, the Trez Amiga Superstation was an idea to bridge the west coast... Uh, power grid, the Texan power grid, and the East Coast power grid together.
0: Right, and I remember that uh, required long travels of power cable, so that it was, so so to speak.
1: it's a big country, right? Yeah. So, one of the problems here is that um, synchronizing all those power grids, right? There's a reason those power grids have stayed apart. You need them to all be on the same AC cycle. And, and the bigger the grid, the harder it is to, to keep
0: it synced. Now, here's a question. What's the benefit of syncing power grids? I mean, isn't it nice to have nine different sections so that if one goes down, they don't all go down? Um, You've got a point. Just because
1: they're synced doesn't mean they knock each other out. Okay. Right? Like, that's fine. If one failed, the whole reason to have them connected is so that one could support the other if there was a problem. I see. Right. And, and in the Northeast, there's this huge grid interplay that includes Canada, by the way. Um, power electrical grids don't really see borders, especially when it comes to the U.S. and Canada. Right. And then you remember there was that incident in Ohio a number of years ago after 9 11, but a number of years ago where a failure in a test sequence in a, the Ohio part of the grid knocked out the whole Northeast. Yes. Now they're heavily intertwined, but just trying to bridge them together is, is not a bad idea. The what's happened over time, and this is where the European side of this comes into, is we've learned how to transmit power more efficiently. Uh, and what the Tres Amigas system was proposing was to use ultra-high-voltage superconductive DC power grids. That's right. I remember now. So instead of using AC, use DC, use high-temperature superconductors, and bridge the grids together there. Now, what's the advantage there? Well, they don't have to be in sync.
0: Yep, and they can travel long distances. Very,
1: very long distances. And the main thing they were looking at is there's so much opportunity to generate solar and wind power in places like New Mexico Mm -hmm. and Arizona that don't have a lot of demand for power. Right, and solar is – yeah, okay. But California does. Yeah. And so, the opportunity to distribute power more widely is kind of an interesting idea. Um it's a very large scale project. So I've been following it as I am want to do <laughs> because of my my immediate thought was no freaking way, mm-hmm. right? Like this isn't, they're never going to get this thing built. Yeah. So they passed by 2013. We did the original show in 2012. Mm-hmm. By the end of 2013, they had passed all regulatory requirements. They were legally allowed to build the thing.
0: Now you say were, what happened?
1: Well, now they need money. Okay. So, now you actually have to fund the thing. So, their first round of funding was they were going after $550 million. And nobody ever says, hey, we failed to raise the money. Because let's right. face it, you just keep trying, right? right? But uh I found some press releases from uh 2014. They were saying, we're going to have our funding in place for the first round, which is to build out a 5 gigawatt connector between the three grids with the ultimate plan to scale it up to 30 gigawatts. Wow. Um, so they needed to raise $550 million and they figured to be done by the fall of 2014. Mm-hmm. It is now the spring of 2015. No word. Okay. So it's just gone quiet. Uh, and in my experience, you know, when you raise money successfully, you make a lot of noise. Mm. So the fact that they're not making any noise at all means they're struggling for money. Yeah. And try and actually make that happen.
0: Was that, uh, something that a cost benefit analysis bore out as being, uh, cost effective to invest in?
1: Well, I think that's one of the problems here is, is it actually cost effective to, to distribute power like that? Right. And especially when you're talking about some relatively experimental stuff, like this would be the largest application of room su- temperature superconductors ever made. Mm. And that should scare people. And I think it did. Yeah. Um, because power distribution is a low margin business. Sure. You know, there's, there's not a lot of money in it. And so you've got to be very, very conservative. Most research ever done on power grid-related stuff has been funded by governments, mm-hmm. you know, not by companies. Yeah. And so I think it's going to be very challenging for them to raise the money on it. And uh, that's sort of where they are. So okay. I, it's, it's something I've been keeping an eye on because if they pull it off, it'll be amazing. And and I have never done a show on superconductors. Yeah, right. But uh, the, the opportunity to see an v- extremely large application of large-scale room temperature or high-temperature superconductors is very interesting to me.
0: What's what? What's interesting to me? What resonated with me when you were talking there is how solar fits into that because solar is a DC generating yes. uh, power and uh, been in the news lately. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, Germany got real serious about solar after Fukushima. Yeah, So Angela Merkel uh, announced that they were going to shut down all the nuclear power plants in Germany, which I thought was insane. Me too. And for starters, who other than the Germans could run safer nuclear power plants? Yeah. And then while they were shutting those things down, they were buying power from France to make up the shorefall, who generated all their power with, wait for it, nuclear power.
0: Nuclear power. power. <laughs>
1: yeah. um, but the other thing that they did was they started building out renewable energy, a lot of wind, a lot of solar, yeah. and a tremendous amount of solar. And one of the reasons having dug deeper into this whole process is that Germany is largely an export economy. A really significant portion, almost half of their income comes from selling stuff abroad. Yeah. And it's a a vulnerability because when you get an economic downturn, like, say, now, they're struggling to maintain a level of exports to maintain their GDP. And so in some ways, the huge multi-billion dollar subsidies that the Germans have provided in country is a make work project to actually get those solar plants put in. Uh, and they, and they mostly do photovoltaic. There's not a lot of, of, um, thermal solar systems, but in April of this year of 2015, they hit a new high. They hit. Uh, There's some debate, actually, either 25 or 27 gigawatts of solar power, which generated uh, for about a 15-minute period. There's a window there where they generate that much solar power. And
0: that was more than was required to run the whole country, right? The total power generation capability of Germany is
1: 171 gigawatts. So what it did was it exceeded peak demand. Now, the problem when you have traditional power plants is you can't turn them off fast. And right. the vast majority, 40% of Germany's power generation is coal. Yeah. Right? They, they make the bulk of their power out of coal. Uh, and solar's on its, solar renewables are on the way up. They're at about 25% when you combine wind and solar together, but it's still got a long ways to go. But it was the most significant portion of power ever generated by solar. And the funny part is an hour after they hit the peak on solar, they hit their peak on wind. Yeah. So which is bright an AC, and sunny and windy in Which Germany.
0: is an AC power generator. Yes. It's kind of different. But is this a good time to bring up Elon Musk's batteries? If you go to tinyurl.com slash battery, there's, there's articles everywhere. You can't miss it. It was all over no, the news. No, they've been talking about it uh, nonstop. Yeah, this one's in Scientific American. But uh, Elon Musk wants everybody to have uh, batteries that are powered by solar energy. And then power your home and business. And he basically said he's going to sell them.
1: And in, you know the interest. A the guy knows more about batteries than anybody, right? Yeah, I mean, Tesla's sure literally leading yeah. the battery space. But what's interesting about this? Leave out the solar part because that's an expensive piece. It may or may not work. Right. But yeah, once you get batteries into the house, and we talked about this on the DC Revolution show. That's right. You open the door to just allowing other power sources to be distributed in your house properly to, in order, once you integrate this battery into your system, you can insert other power sources into your house.
0: Right. Because and, the big problem with power is you can't store it unless you have a battery or something right. like that. So when it's being generated, you either use it or lose it. And, um, the
1: main goal of the national power grid is to reduce peak power. Right. And so once you put a battery in all these houses and then you add a little internet and some smarts, Mm. you start switching to those batteries, not because your power is out, Mm -hmm. but because you're coming towards peak and so that you could start flattening out the peak. Yeah. And that's hugely – that makes – now you're talking about turning off power plants. Right. If you can do this properly and you can control it well, this is a whole peer-to-peer networking effect. You could literally start to turn off factories because you'll flatten out.
0: But before that, we need, powers. we need an AC to DC converter at the, at the power source when it comes into our house, don't we?
1: Well, yeah, if you're going to charge batteries, needs, but that charging technology is very well known. And you also need an oscillator to turn that battery power back into AC when you want to use it. Right. And that my whole conversation on the on the DC revolution was if you start using DC lighting and start, you know, USB ports and other related power ports for all the DC power you want to use as DC right. and stop using transformers for all that stuff. You can bypass AC
0: except for your refrigerator and your dryer and other Yeah, anything it has got a motor appliances. or a big
1: heating coil or stuff that stays on AC mm-hmm. and all the low voltage stuff, low power stuff, that's all DC. And we actually mix our houses that way. In some ways our houses will be safer. Oh, yeah. Because well, we're be distributing less high voltage power around, mm-hmm. and we would naturally end up with batteries and alternative energy sources and so forth. It's yep. something I'm paying very close attention to, and yep. I think is one of the ones close to making another show.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, it's it's an exciting time for solar and, and wind power. They they're they're they are getting huge traction, and you're seeing countries, first world countries like Germany, embracing it in a big way and getting some advantage. Yeah. But just to be clear. Germany heavily subsidized yes. their solar power to get where they are today. It was not economically viable, but it was politically viable. Mm. And so, they did it. And I'll include in the show notes links to various articles that I read sort of got me to this place around these things.
0: Okay. Uh, wave power.
1: What happened so, there? you know, just a recent show, just January yep. 2015. And you remember I was talking about the um, – uh, the Swanee tidal power thing. I think that was the one that most people know about hydroelectric dams. Yeah. And there's the whole conversation about true tidal power, collecting power from tides. And When you have very fast tides, you can put turbines underwater. Right. And those will work, but they only work in a few spots. They have an oscillation rate and they have a lot of wear. You're taking, you know, the same parts that a wind turbine would have and you're putting them underwater. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the things I said in that show just a few months ago was nobody's got a production tidal power plant. Well, in the intervening time, that has changed. There is a project that I mentioned off the coast of Australia that was an experimental that is now a production power plant. People's homes are being powered by floating buoys being pulled up and down in the waves. And for non-Canadians, that's buoys. Yes. Yes. And, so they're floating and,
0: and they're going up and down and they're uh tugging some sort of thing that's under the water. Is that right? How it so works? they have
1: a cable attached to them to a mount on the seafloor mm. that's hooked to a pipe that actually presses pumps pressurized water to the power plant. Wow. Because of the up and down motion, right? right. So there's a whole bunch of these little boys. And they all move up and down and, and they pump one way. And so it increases the pressure in the pipe and pumps the water at high enough velocity to actually spin a turbine. Hmm. And then that water's just dumped back into the ocean. It's salt water the whole way. So it's a closed circuit. It's a closed circuit system with no waste. With no waste. And right? the output is, is energy. That's is great. Energy just by, and, and the funny part is, you know what happens when you get a whole bunch of boys in the waves, uh, uh absorbing that energy? You reduce the waves.
0: Right, so it actually has a safety benefit.
1: Yeah, it's a seawall effect. Yeah. So the, the current version that's running off the coast of uh, Perth is generating about 240 kilowatts per boy. Wow. So and they, the boys are not small. They're like 35 feet across. Like, they're big. Hmm. But they are, you know, generating real power and uh, actually processing it. Here's an interesting thought for you, buddy. mm they're experimenting now because they've already put all that seawater under high pressure to make it work. Mm-hmm. It's pretty easy to force it through a reverse osmosis desalination. Filter. Desalination.
0: So, they could maybe get fresh water and electricity at the same time. Or maybe one or the other. Or one or the other, sure.
1: When you don't need the power, make fresh water. Right. Right? So, interesting, isn't it? It's very it's interesting. A, it's a big step forward and, and and that combination of this particular technique – Pumping, using the wave action to pump water under pressure just opens the door to a bunch of other ideas. And I think it's very, very clever application. So I'm pretty excited about what's happened there.
0: Yeah. Awesome. All right. That brings us to automated driving. Yeah. And, I, said, uh, I mean, there's so much more. We, we could talk about power all day. Sure. But in the interest of time, the, yeah. the thing that struck me is one of your predictions came true. Yes. It's coming true. and Well, several uh, of them. Yeah, several of them. But this one in particular was about the trucks. So, Well, let's do the truck last because the truck in some ways is
1: the real good news. One of the pieces that came out shortly after we talked about this, and there was a couple of folks that complained about – I was going into enough detail about exactly how, say, like the Google car works. Yeah. You know, we we did a little bit about the sort of the technology side and a little – and then we talked more about what is the impact of automated driving. And the impact of automated automated driving is huge. There's been – if there's any area that's doing a lot of research now, it's doing more and more studies about automated driving. It's not just straight saving lives. There was a great piece out of Stanford that showed if only 10% of the vehicles were automated, traffic jams are basically over.
0: I don't know if I said this on the original show, but I certainly have talked about it since then, but mm-hmm. that I think uh, automated cars will bring back a sort of inner city life, like a nightlife that yeah. has sort of been, uh, ha- has gone away because well, let's face it. You don't go out to a bar at night because you're driving to a place to drink. Then you get in your car and come home. What's Exactly. What could go wrong, right?
1: Lots. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Not only that, but, you know, bands aren't hired anymore because people go crazy and they drink more. And then, you know, the bartenders are actually liable for – Uh, for their safety. So they're, they're required by law to cut them off if they're too drunk, because if they get in an accident and kill themselves, the bartenders can be sued. Yes. So all of that, and, and, you know, and I hear, I hear you. We have taxis, we have Uber and all that, and that should be making a difference. But there's a social stigma to taxis that, you know, I want to go out. I want to be, you know, with my, my spouse, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, whatever. And we just want to go out and have a good time. We don't want a taxi to pull up to this. You know, it's like there's like a social stigma with taxis. But if you could call your car (whistles) on your phone, comes and picks you up, takes you there, and then just goes back home, you know, gets out of the city. And then when you're ready, you just press a button on your phone. It tells you when it's there and you walk out in your car, your own car and drive home. I mean, that's, Well, I don't even
1: think you'll own the car. I mean, I think it'll be Uber. I mean,
0: you still have the social stigma of being drunk in a car, but if you're the only one in the car, who cares? I think you're going to see a mix, Richard. I, I think that you're right. There are going to be a lot of people that take the automated Uber car because it's just so easy. But, uh, you know, and there are going to be people that own electric cars and there are going to be places that uh Other than Uber that have, you know, bigger vehicles for larger and further uh travel. And I also think that uh, their regular old cars aren't going anywhere because, let's face it, this is the most fun we've had with a machine since the beginning of time.
1: Yeah, but I expect the car to go the way of the horse in a big hurry. There'll be a few people. They'll ride in a safe area, you know. It'll it'll disappear. I don't the, think largely. So. I it'll think a there, tiny there's number. still
0: going to be those people who love to drive cars. Yes, but it's going
1: to get harder and harder to do so because it's not safe. Yeah, there's still those people who love to ride horses, but they don't take them to the grocery store.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right? Um, we'll one see. of the
1: big pieces that came out about a year after we did that original show was a really detailed analysis of how Google does what Google does, mm-hmm. and and they there's been a several important Google articles out. Um, the most, the one that surprised me was the love. So Google's car uses LIDAR, yes. right? This is a light radar yep. that makes a very detailed map of the world around it. Yeah. Well, it also has a copy of that map internally to the point where it knows how high curbs are, where every stop sign is, every light is, every structure is. And so. There's a reason that the Google car has only been driving around Palo Alto. That's the only place they have that detailed a map.
0: Got it. So we're going to need the 3D equivalent of GPS. Or we're going to have to come up with an
1: easier way to do this because the LiDAR approach just requires too much data. Mm. So I don't know that it's ultimately scalable. The other reason they use Palo Alto is because the weather is almost always nice. These systems do not work well in bad weather. Ah. So Of course they don't. Yeah, it's hard. The ability for humans to adapt to limited data and still drive, which is also partly recklessness—you mm. don't actually know in the snowstorm what's ahead of you. Right. We are, you know, the pieces that are missing is dealing with those finer details. Yeah. Um, but Google, in the meantime, has dr- put literally millions of miles on its automated vehicles. Mm. Been it got permission to use them. There have been Google people that've been in them forever, and they have a. I'll, I'll put a uh, link to the article, but. Uh, They've had accidents. Yes. And every time the accident has been somebody else's fault, they're mostly rear enders and they have been minor Yeah, Uh, and they have been unavoidable.
0: Yeah. Yep. That's that's uh, exactly what I heard too.
1: And there's an ethical, you know, now you get into this sort of ethical dilemma around these things that uh, are, you know, uh, could be a whole other discussion of once you have an automated driver, now now you can play the game of there are four people in front of the car and there's one person off to the side. Do you avoid the four and hit the one? Right. You know, that's sort of the – these are old ethical dilemmas. The, sure. the, the philosophy has been around a long time. So, that's where they're going there. But the most important news in the automated driving space, without a doubt, is that right now, today, in May of 2015, there is a completely automated – well, not completely, but an automated semi-trailer truck. Exactly one, yep. built by Mercedes-Benz, driving in Nevada.
0: Yes, and and it still requires a person behind the wheel, right? And it
1: doesn't do everything. It will not do on and off ramps. Yeah. So, But for that core driving, the most boring part, the exhausting part of the drive, just Mm. driving on the freeway, that's what it does. And it's not doing it with LiDAR. Interesting. It's an optical system. Hmm. So different, you know, I think something we didn't get into a lot when we did the original show there's lots of different technological approaches to automated driving. And this particular vehicle, and it's a semi-trailer truck, a full-size semi-trailer truck trawling a trailer. So not a small machine. That's 150,000 pounds worth of machine when loaded, is using cameras and other sensors to drive itself. That's pretty awesome. And And, uh, so it's the beginning. This is happening.
0: And that's one of the things that we talked about on the very first show was that trucks... And uh, you know rigs, big rigs for for hauling and and trucking and shipping, are probably going to be some of the first automated vehicles because right. the benefit the is just so undeniable.
1: Yeah, there's a limited amount of time that professional truck drivers are allowed to drive. Yeah, and that limit would get lifted, and. um and that would reduce the cost of goods. That right. would in decrease the number of vehicles required with so many benefits. It would also, you know, the it, downside it would also is
0: increase the quality of goods because they would get from point A to point B quicker. Sooner. Yeah. yeah. So, guess what the largest single job title,
1: most common job title is in the United States? Is it truck driver? It's truck driver. Wow. So, it is something like six and a half million people. Wow. And you and I have driven across the U.S. a number of times. Mm. If all the trucks were automated, it's not just the truckers that lose their jobs. Think about all those truck stops, all of the infrastructure scattered around the country that is built to feed and wash and maintain vehicles for truckers.
0: Well, you know, perhaps there is another system, another way that can come out of this where I mean if you think about it trucks still need to be refueled yes so there will be there'll truck be some. stops you know what about having uh you know people that pick up their truck at a certain place one guy gets off another guy gets on he takes the next leg he sits behind the wheel and you know does basically nothing but operates the vehicle he doesn't have to be Uh, Operating the vehicle like well, and I'm
1: still talking. You know, we're we're gonna get to a point where there'll be nobody in the vehicle,
0: there's no reason to have a
1: person in the vehicle. We're not there yet, but we're getting well, we will get there, Mm -hmm. and that's when this is gonna be very disruptive. And it's leading me to another show, okay, that talks about are we actually in a place where the amount of employment is simply less, you know, we have to do it a different way. I
0: think you know, I've been listening to Planet Money a lot, and they've been doing a whole series on the robots taking your job, you know, basically. And and there is no consensus right now. I mean, if you think about it, yes, we have lost a lot of jobs, but technology has replaced those jobs with other jobs. But the net effect seems to be less jobs. So where we're heading here is a society in which just manual labor isn't done. And the the things that people do will be – Uh, something else you know i and i don't know what the answer is maybe maybe we're heading toward a socialist state where there's a guaranteed minimum wage that everybody gets just for being a citizen
1: well let's just be clear you already live in a socialist state every civilized country is a social state you have roads you have military you have medicine it's socialism.
0: yeah sure I, i mean you know getting it to the point where we're actually paying a citizen a wage to exist you know, that's what I'm talking about.
1: Or, you know, have or providing a basic income. There's yeah. no – and, and the reality is this exists today. We do not leave people lying on the street. If they want to come in, there's a place for them to go. When well, we live in people, different countries,
0: my friend. Well,
1: <laughs> I think it's even true in your country too, actually. Most of the folks that you find that are homeless are homeless for a reason. Sometimes that reason is mental illness. Yeah,
0: a lot of the time it's mental illness. The inability to just get their life together, yeah.
1: To choose to function in a different way, you know, would be a and and a polite way to put it. That yeah. They they are on the fringes of society
0: for a reason. But this is a different show. We're going to have to pick that one up later. But it's a fascinating topic, and I would recommend you listen to uh, Planet Money on NPR. There's a whole series of shows where they talk about this, the philosophy Absolutely. and the and the hard data. Let's give away some swag, dude. All right. It's time to give away a de- experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com/superhero. All
1: right, buddy. Who's our winner?
0: Today's winner is Hetal Suresh Patel. Congratulations, Hetal. Yes. <clears throat> Golf clap for you, sir. Clap for you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got to get that on a t-shirt. Yep. And Hetal uh, won DevExpress's Experience subscription. That's a big pile of awesome from Developer Express just for being a member of the fan club. And if you don't know what we're talking about here, go to dotnetrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. And every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December... We give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks Fan Club. Uh, and Richard, I think this is a good time to let the listeners know that we've started doing keynotes. Yeah. yeah Together Together Richard and I have written This amazing keynote That we're Going to be doing uh, The first one That we're going to be doing Is at uh, A private conference For a company I don't know if I should even say The company's name But it's a company You all know and love They invited Richard and I To talk and do the keynote And we put together Something very cool So If that sounds like Something you'd like us To do for you Just get in touch with us net rocks At Franklins.net. All right Fusion Yep yeah.
1: I never – well, almost within a couple of months of us finishing this series in the summer of 2014, Lockheed Martin made that announcement. Yes. Yeah, that raised a bit of a stink. So, their concept's called the High Beta Reactor. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a very interesting name. There's even a Wikipedia entry for it, but it's been made by the Lockheed Martin people. Okay. <laughs> I actually know how to use Wikipedia, boys. Yeah. It didn't take me very long to figure out who was writing this thing. Yeah, yeah. I can't find any, you know, the problem is that every article you read, any piece you get on this, there's no research papers. just focuses on how amazing free power would be, which, A, look, fusion power, never going to be free. Like, don't fool yourself. The bulk of the cost of power is not making the power. The bulk of the cost of power is distributing power. And that's not going to go away. Right. And we're never talking about the Mr. Fusion from back to the future. It's not going to be something the size of a coffee can on the back of your car. It's going to be a power plant. Yeah. Uh, and so the other thing that I do that I think more people struggle with is I'm always very interested as to why people are making announcements. So here comes Lockheed Martin, one of the wealthiest companies in the world, one of the largest defense contractors in the world saying, we think we've cracked fusion. We're only five years away, which by the way, I have found the same announcement for the past three years, yeah. mm-hmm. always five years away.
0: Why are they year- talking? We're always five years away. That's right. I think in five years, that's like the pundits' uh, mating call.
1: Yeah, yeah. But the reality is, if they actually had a solution, they wouldn't be talking about it. Because people who can do are too busy doing the talk. They've mm-hmm. got the money; they could build it themselves. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they're not just building it sort of speaks to whether they've actually got anything or not. And I don't appreciate them using the Skunkworks name in the in this whole process because Skunkworks used to really mean something. It meant some of the coolest technology that had ever been built by man. Stuff like the SR-71 and the U-2 and the F-117 Stealth Fighter. Mm. This is a paper project with a few bits of bent metal and no proof that it's anything. Okay. Um, but that's not the only thing that's interesting. Of course, I'll go and take a peek at and Literally this month, just a few days ago, in the, in the, the uh, uh, journal Science... One of the problems I have with ITER and these other big mega projects is they keep going with this idea that if we just make it bigger, the bigger one will work. Right. You know, we, we've seen this in software. We've seen this in all kinds of sure. things. It's kind of a silly concept, and it hasn't worked yet. And the projects are getting catastrophically expensive. Mm. You know, depending on who you ask, the ITER project will be somewhere between 20 and $60 billion. Nobody actually knows. And how much energy has it produced? Exactly none. It's still not even built. Yeah. The most successful Takamak reactor, large-scale one, would be the joint European Taurus jet that generated, that emitted, they didn't capture it, just emitted 16 megawatts of power for putting 17 megawatts into it. Yeah. Okay? Mm. Not to capture, because the yield's going to be lower, Mm. but just emitted. Mm. So the paper in science that I'll include the link to talks about rather than use the donut shaped tokamak design they're talking about a thing called a spheromak. So it's a different shape that gives you a little more room for the plasma to work in and one of the principles on this is that it will be more efficient when it's smaller.
0: Now <laughs> It just seems crazy to me. Uh, are these people out of their minds or do they actually have real science behind this? Like, why doesn't it work? Is it because there's only a couple, a handful of people that really, truly understand it and they nobody knows enough to be able to critique them? What is I it?
1: Think, I think that's part of the problem. There's only so many people at this level. This is experimental physics. So, we are making hypotheses and testing them. In order to test them, we have to spend billions. Yeah. But, you know, part of this is this idea that stop selling the get bigger because, you know, there's just no evidence that getting bigger actually solves anything. Hmm. So, but I do appreciate that there's new ideas going into Fusion. And uh, I'm yet to be convinced, but it's encouraging. Um, So, that's ITER. The, you know, if we talk about the three fusion shows, I'll talk about Eider first. and I talked about the National Ignition Facility, mm-hmm. NIF, which kind of embarrassed itself. They were trying to use laser confinement and got nowhere near their numbers. So, they cooked up another number looking at it a different way to make it sound better. Yeah. But to their credit, since that show, they have actually worked on the real problem. Okay. So, there's a set of papers now out of them actually analyzing the whole So, this way, the, if you remember the NIF… You go back to listen to the other show. The room is a little gold cylinder that contains deuterium and tritium. Okay. And the laser, 192 lasers hit this thing within the same picosecond. Picoseconds. A yes, a thousandth of a nanosecond, a picosecond. That's
0: really small.
1: And very good timing. It's a very hard part to compress it. And cause it to have a fusion detonation. Huh. And it didn't work. And one of the concerns was that the holoram wasn't uniform enough. And so they have been working on making a smaller, lighter, more uniform Holurum, mm-hmm. um, With the So they've not shut down. They haven't given up. It's a good sign that there's still research going into the inertial confinement approach, using lasers to do confinement for a fusion explosion.
0: All right. I... I don't know if it's time yet, but we got to talk about the crazy Italian guy, on You'll get Rossi. there.
1: I just run down a couple of the others. Uh, you remember General Fusion, which is just down the road yeah. from me? Yeah. Uh, no press releases, no conversations, no interviews since April of 2014. Hmm. Sounds like they're running out of money. Hmm. Or they're actually building something. That's the problem is they only go too silent for two reasons. Hmm. You can't do anything or you're really on to something. Mm-hmm. Right. So, they're silent. Um, Helion Energy, which was another one of the billionaire-funded uh, projects, has got has been doing some... They're out of Western Washington, just doing some press pieces with politicians, but no announcements of actual tests or anything like that. Try Alpha Energy, which is one of Paul Allen's projects, totally secret. Mm. Um, the Lawrenceville Plasma Physics Project, which is another one that I, I talked about. Their chief scientist, turns out he was an Iranian, couldn't get a visa, and has gone back to Iran. Oh, Okay, It's just huh. random problems. All
0: right.
1: Um, in the cold fusion front, so what do you remember from the cold fusion? What was the best news I told you in the cold the fusion show? The best
0: news is that cold fusion works. It's yes. real. It's possible. It's just not efficient.
1: Not just in general electricity. And the pro and the research that was done was the guys from Mitsubishi Labs, right? So, what I really liked about what Labs did is they stripped down to the fundamental concept because what was interesting about the cold fusion idea that I take palladium in some form, right? Wire, mesh. There's all these different discussions about what it should be. I immerse it in heavy water, right? A deuterized water. And then I pump electricity into it for weeks. Mm. And after weeks, something happens. Something And they're not really, you know, so this goes back to the original Fleshman Pons experiments in the 80s that started off, that made cold fusion into a pariah because they somehow got heat and they weren't sure how and it couldn't be reproduced. But with the Mitsubishi guys is they got down to the core. Don't worry about the power and so forth. The big problem with the cold fusion was there's no high energy neutrons being released by fusion. And every other kind of fusion that's ever been done and proven to be real, had these particular emissions Mm. that this process didn't have. But what the Mitsubishi guys did was they transmuted elements. Right. It's true alchemy. Yeah, the alchemy of old, real alchemy. My favorite one of those, the one that was, I think, sort of the most approachable, because everybody knew what it was, was take you put calcium in with the palladium, and you got out titanium. That's crazy. And you're like, you got what? yeah and and the re- and so there were certain <laughs> formulas that they could see that were fairly consistent. it's always so in the end, what's the difference between calcium and titanium
0: uh well, titanium uh goes around my finger actually yeah, I nice. have, a, <laughs> have a ring
1: calcium has twenty protons in its nucleus, and titanium has twenty two right okay. That's the basic measure. And you're going to get some neutrons along the way as well. And so the transformation of the transmutation of in, in that process was to take calcium, which was you know, atomic wave 44, 20 protons, 24 neutrons and make it into titanium by adding two protons and two neutrons to it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Without that, dude, that's fusion. So there's no two ways about it. Sure. It's fusion.
0: You have fused two molecules together.
1: Well, you've, you've taken a proton, a couple of protons, a couple of neutrons and stuck it into the nucleus of something else. You fused them. Mm. But you, so to me, what was important in the Mitsubishi experiment was proof that there was fusion without all of the normal trappings of fusion. No plasmas, no high energy neutrons, none of that stuff.
0: Now if they could just make it efficient.
1: So. Uh, and then Mitsubishi went off, gave the project to Toyota and Toyota proved that they could make it happen re- reliably as well. The, the whole question was, Is this got, it's just, there's a reaction here that should be studied further. Yes. So the team yes. behind the Mitsubishi project has left Mitsubishi. Oh. They have joined a new lab specifically to make power out mm. of this. Now, here's where I get sad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because, it, it was a very sensible project that begged itself to do more research with because it's like clearly there is a form of fusion being done here. Mm-hmm. And, they call it, and they call it condensed matter nuclear reactions. So, the new organization that these guys have now joined are focused on two things. One of them is making power. Which, okay, that may or may not work. Yeah. But fine. You want to work that way. I just wish we'd, we'd spend more time to understand the core science. The one that really made me sad is cleaning up nuclear waste. Because, of course, Fukushima, right? This is Japan. Yeah. We can transmutate radioactive actinides into something else. And I'm like, hmm. can you? I don't think you can. Because the only thing you've demonstrated is adding protons and neutrons to a nucleus. Hmm. And the way this works is the reason... Atoms get radioactive because they're so big, they can't hold on to all of their neutrons. So, they emit them. That is the
0: basic definition of radioactivity. And if you can only add more, you're
1: not necessarily making the situation
0: better. Well, if if the problem is neutrons, by adding more protons and electrons, that's not going to help. No, it's going it, to, it's not necessarily going to make it worse though. So
1: I actually went, pulled out my periodic table, looked at the research they'd done because you notice they always do it in pairs. Yeah. Either two, four or six ads. So if you just look at uranium, right? With 92 protons mm-hmm. in it and you added two protons to it, what would you get? You'd get plutonium. Okay. That's not good. Let's not do that. No. Uh, but if you added six protons to it you'd get californium and Californium's actually kind of a useful is that even an element
0: californium yeah, yeah.
1: you'll never guess what what state it was first I, test created possibly in possibly connecticut yeah okay yeah well you know the reason they call thorium thorium is because it was first proven to exist in norway so when right? are we going to have cambellium I don't think that's likely, but there is an Einsteinium.
0: (laughs) Einsteinium, right? I knew about that, yeah.
1: Yeah, and there's a Californium. and So, I'm hoping that's the reaction they're looking at, that they could take both plutonium and uranium and make it into Californium, which is a more stable radioactive. It's still a radioactive, but it's stable. It's somewhat safer. It's got uses. Maybe that's what they're trying to do, but it's the best thing I can hope You could
0: actually clean up Californium.
1: You could, you can deal with it in more ways. It's not yeah. so wildly toxic, yeah, yeah. but it's still in some ways it makes me sad because they've taken their eye off their main contribution, which is actually understanding what the heck these low energy fusion reactions are.
0: All right. Are. We only get 10 minutes left. So we got to talk about Rossi, my favorite crazy man.
1: Yes. So, you know, I was talking about how all these other guys have, you don't hear from them. So either they're out of money or they're getting close to something. So they're staying silent. Yeah. Not so Rossi. Uh, not a day goes he's, by, dude. He just keeps cranking stuff out. He keeps stuff cranking out. stuff
0: out. No. <laughs> all right. Quick. Just Google Bing uh, Andrea Rossi, R-O-S-S-I, or go to e-cat world, e-cat yep. world, and all of his things that he has claimed, and apparently it's been validated, but we don't know – we don't know exactly how. Much it's we also can trust.
1: suspect. It drives me crazy. Yeah,
0: we don't know how much we can trust the validation and all that stuff. Yeah. That that uh, some power went in, a lot more came out.
1: Yeah, and we're not quite sure why. We hope it's something, but you know, there's a reason we have a scientific process for discovering all this, and you should just follow it.
0: And he has a history of uh, cheating. He's people. been
1: in prison for fraud. Right. It's not <laughs> small. Yeah. Indicted. It's good time. Yeah. Right. Right. Current, his current set of announcements is he's building a one-megawatt test plant, apparently. Mm. Okay. So, that's where he's at, still making his crazy thing.
0: Okay. So, well, you know, he says there's a huge portfolio of pioneers that are lined up to buy power plants. Sure, they this are. This is all just in May, you know?
1: Yeah. But he never stop talking.
0: Never stops talking. Yep. All right. Let's do a little space stuff. Yeah. Let's talk space.
1: Um, I'll talk about the saddest one first, which was the Virgin Galactic oh, crash. Was terrible, uh, it was terrible, and it I, I was a little uncomfortable doing the show when we did it, but there was a lot of people asking for it. Uh, that was right out. It was within a couple of weeks of it happening, right, yeah. And uh, obviously, uh, a man lost his life.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, the investigation is still not complete. You know, um, seven, eight months later, it takes time to actually figure this out. There's a few more bits of information that have come out that are amazing to me. Uh, obviously there was video. Um, it seems apparent that, um, the, un- the feathering system was unlocked too early and that transonic shock waves forced the feathering arms up that caused the vehicle to disassemble or tear itself apart. Mm. It was Michael Alsberry who who is seen in the video unlocking it. It seems apparent that he knew he had made a mistake and was trying to shut down the engine when the vehicle tore itself apart and ultimately yeah. killing him. The um, Pete Siebel, the pilot who was unaware of any of these things going on, I did not know this. He wasn't even in a pressure suit. Oh, really? He was at 50,000 feet when the ship tore itself apart. He was thrown from the ship still in his seat. He is the first person in history to survive the destruction of the spacecraft. Wow. So he's flying the spaceship, has no idea that anything's gone wrong. All of a sudden, the ship tears itself apart and he finds himself at 50,000 feet, no oxygen, no pressure suit in in his seat and able to keep himself conscious enough to release the straps to get out of the chair, get out of the seat. And his parachute self-deployed and he survived with n- some injury, but he lived. Yep. It's amazing. It is, it is miraculous. It is miraculous. Like, it's, it's inconceivable that this actually happened. So, uh, the, the sad part here is the, uh, Virgin Galactic is sort of distant himself from the thing. Like, it's, it's, right. they're working their way through it. There's not all the, the wreckage has been collected and they're, they're going, making the process properly. But, um, yeah, it's, it is, uh, difficult. Meanwhile, to, uh, to deal Elon with this.
0: Musk has, uh, cemented himself as NASA's right hand guy for well sending rockets up.
1: Yeah. Orbital still hasn't flown another payload and they're on the hook to fly it. They signed the contract. Mm. So we're still waiting to see after their incident with the AJ 26. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elon's continued doing his thing. The big news literally out today is the Air Force has officially approved SpaceX for flying, uh, Air Force high security missions. Yep. So GPS and flights like that. Now, if you recall, we didn't talk about this on the show, but it was in the news. Um, U ULA, the United Launch Alliance, which is a conglomeration between Lockheed Martin and Boeing, they own the Atlas rockets and Delta rockets, what they call the evolved launch vehicle system. Mm -hmm. And the reason there's two different ones is so if there was a problem with one, the other would always be available. Although they've turned into two very different rockets and ultimately Deltas are going to go away. The Atlas has become the workhorse and they signed a deal with the Air Force to lock up all lift for the Air Force for, like, five years in advance. They'd never done a deal like that before. It clearly was a preventative action to stop SpaceX from getting in that action. SpaceX sued. And two years later, uh, they've not only gotten past the lawsuit, they are now actually a competitor to ULA. Wow. Which I think can only be good. Competition is good. Competition is good. Let's get everybody to be better. The problem, of course, is that the ULA system is not built on competitive practices because it's the contracts they've been signing. It's not their fault. It's the system that they've operated in so far. Elon's gone a de- different way, and I think they're going to outcompete them, and we're going to have a long conversation about that. I would hope that ULA would start to transform itself into something more SpaceX like, yeah, right? Because because if we could have two nimble, smart rockets, then a whole bunch of other stuff will happen. And I think back to the show we did on space-based power, which I basically shot. When we just talked about how expensive lift is. Yep. So, you know, the, the close of this more than anything after this, I was so kind of sad after we went through the process with the space based power. I was more of an optimist when I started the research. than I was when I finished mm. that I've been working on a show now, uh, just making notes and thinking about it of what, what are the logical next steps for humanity to occupy space? And it's not a flight to Mars. I think it's the manufacturing part of the things. Well, well how, how do we make space-based power work? Just manufacture most of those components outside of the gravity well.
0: Right. And, you know, however, we talked also about uh, space-based power being expensive to get stuff up there. So getting enough factory in space could be a problem. But a factory, and it's not just a factory, we're talking about
1: a prospecting system, a mining system, a refining system, and a manufacturing system.
0: Yeah, and so you're talking about small, you know, 3D, small manufacturing, like 3D printing, metal things.
1: Yeah, maybe it's not that
0: small even, but once you lift that set once, you can make a
1: lot of stuff. Yeah. Right? And when you're talking about the SBS Alpha, which is, um, I mean, literally a multi-mile across spacecraft, you are going to make thousands of components, mm. and that's only to generate two gigawatts of power. Yeah. If we actually want to make a dent in the power consumption of the planet, make it space-based, we need hundreds of them, and suddenly
0: a factory makes a
1: lot of sense.
0: I just don't know. I don't know, Richard. I'm We talked about this in the Space-Based Space Power show as well, but y- you know, the is the benefit of having the power outside the atmosphere, the solar panels outside the atmosphere, that much better than having more solar panels inside the atmosphere is it worth it
1: well it has certain key advantages certainly there's a space thing there's no night right like right. yeah there's a ton of advantages and I, we never even got into this but once you start beaming power around you can beam power for other reasons mm. remember when we were talking in the asteroid mining show about building the the uh circular orbiting ships that fly between the Mars and and the earth oh, constantly sure. absolutely it would be space-based power that would accelerate them yeah. that would be your power plant. Right. So you, you, you need a few other capabilities being able to handle moving targets, but you could do it. And so you're talking about a system that you would build. You, we're talking about core things to advancing our civilization, manufacturing in space. And I'm not saying in zero G, maybe it's on the moon, but in vacuum environments where we could take advantage of that environment to manufacture m- at a lower cost. That's just a skill we're going to need as humans sooner or later. Yeah, yeah. And being able to generate power in space, either distributing it on the planets, back to our planet, onto a moon to run its factory, or onto a spacecraft to accelerate it or decelerate it, they're just capabilities we're ultimately going to need. So, for me- these are notes I'm starting to take. I don't know when it's going to take the form of a
0: show, but it's stuff I'm thinking. It's about. certainly stuff to watch for, you know, watch for those, the, the magic, uh, sequence of events to happen and the, the colliding of the stars to align so that, uh, you know, stuff that the technology that exists at the time, the cost of that technology, the weight of it, all of those things, those factors will make it even more, uh, desirable to get stuff up into space.
1: And I'm optimistic. I think we're at a turning point right now, where infrastructure in space is starting to make sense, mm. and that that we can talk realistically about actually manufacturing because of our uh, because of our level of automation today.
0: Yeah, and especially where 3D printing is going. It c- certainly seems like that additive manufacturing is the future, yes. and uh, make being able to make real things and real parts. In space, from materials that you mine in space, yeah, seems like a no-brainer. Yeah, going to be hard, but it'll take a hugely while. Hugely powerful. Yeah, it'll take a while. So I've uh, we
1: put up a new placed for you to suggest ideas for geek outs and to vote for the ideas we've got so far that's uh feet slash richard campbell slash geek out awesome and of course the link will be in the show notes uh we've got hundreds of votes already we'll get hundreds more for better or worse the google moderator site i set up that everybody's excited about google shutting it down because uh, you know google <laughs> that's what so
0: happens. well richard it's awesome that you're still doing this and and i'm honored to be a part of it so uh let's just never stop all right, well, but we'll figure it out. <laughs> keep plunking along. Alright. I haven't run out of ideas yet. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks.